0: you're listening to Estranged Podcast, and I'm Adrian Romero, and I'm here with Helen Rollins, and I'm a musician, just in case you haven't heard to the podcast before, and Helen is a director from Ireland. And this is a podcast where we talk about films, and we try to have a theoretical angle insight into it, or philosophical, and also just, you know, go off on tangents talking about... Whatever we're interested in and hopefully you're interested in too. So Yeah. Um today we're gonna talk about Eyes Wide Shut, which mm. is a yeah, pretty phenomenal film from Kubrick. Uh if you haven't seen it, obviously watch it because it'll be spoilery. Although does it have can you spoil it? Yeah, you can you can kinda of spoil think, it. I right?
1: think I think you can. Although I was trying to explain the um like the the plot line to a friend earlier and I was like This is quite, it's quite simple, isn't it? There's not a huge amount of action for the length of the film it is, but it's quite, it's quite It's not a standard plot. (laughs) Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. And it's, we were just talking earlier about how dreamlike it is. How there's kind of like a, it's loose temporality and feels kind of slightly abstracted from reality in a weird way. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, the plot is kind of cavernous. It's like, Mm -hmm. there's like triggers that, they take you to something that you don't expect at all, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's this sort of sense of like mystery throughout the whole f- movie, mm-hmm. and it feels very surreal. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why it feels like that is because he didn't want to go back to the U.S. Because mm-hmm. I think after what was it Barry Lyndon that he or The Shining maybe that he moved to London because mm-hmm. he was from I think. Yeah. Uh, they constructed a set of New- of New York City in London,
1: yeah I think it was at so language, it feels
0: yeah. like i don't know it feels like constructed, the lighting mm. is super weird mm-hmm. um I don't know, obviously the the acting is also extremely weird because they I think that well, I was listening to some interviews, and like Nicole Kidman was saying that Stanley Kubrick told him, i don't care I'm not interested in uh in acting that feels natural mm hmm I just want something that is more interesting and kind of weird. Do you know so, the bit
1: that like always stands out to me? as like being really weird. Is when they're at the party at the beginning and mm-hmm. the two models, quote unquote, oh, yeah, where yeah, the yeah. like one with the English accent like speaks to him, and she to like Tom uses Cruise? yeah to, to Tom Cruise, yeah, and they yeah, you, yeah, yeah. they use this like really stilted language. It's a bit where she's mm-hmm. like, "You were nice and also chivalrous." I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of like slightly. Slightly odd, the whole thing, I the mean Nicole Kidman, like you know, and she's like taunting him about her fantasies, she yeah, she just speaks in this really odd way, but yeah it's
0: do you think that maybe do you think that maybe some like some of his thing of Stanley Kubrick's thing is just to acting that feels like observed by him or something like if like if you know like the actors feel like if they're being watched by some elusive genius or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I always, like, because, like, the question of acting, I always think about, like, Nicholas Winding Refn films and, like, the Ryan Gosling non-acting acting, mm-hmm. which is, like, so canvas-like that you project. Because, obviously, you know, like, um, Only God Forgives has a, a loosely similar kind of, like, very cavernous narrative with a lot of, like, projection going into it um, yeah. from on the part of the viewer. But, yeah, that kind of blank acting versus... Yeah, something that's more naturalistic. But this is something different altogether. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just odd. The whole thing is odd. Do you know, okay, so... <laughs> linking back, because actually, um, my boyfriend and I had a I had similar experience to, like, being in a world where we would not otherwise be and feeling outside as Bill and Alice in this film. Because they get invited to... So the main character, Bill Harford, is um, a kind of an upper-middle-class doctor in new york and he um has like a private practice and like is a doctor to very wealthy people and they are invited to um the christmas party of this very wealthy client of his and he's like
0: plastic like plastic surgeon or something
1: oh i think he's just like a general practitioner Okay, you know so they're like so they're, they're they're wealthy in their own right or whatever but they're not part of the like elite elite i think it's interesting the choice of profession is that like this kind of successful but normal person obviously mm-hmm. like the apartment they live in is super nice In these days in new york it would be like 10 million dollars yeah, but it's yeah. like you know they're like part of a kind of uh bourgeois professionals you know yeah. and then they get this like their toe into this exotic elite world of like they're models like and th- they finances. live in
0: luxury they live in luxury but they're not like ruling class
1: yeah exactly they're kind of like and i think you know that a lot of the premise is built on that but we were at a party recently where we were uh like not at all as famous as everybody else and it felt really weird Mm -hmm. really weird you know you feel kind of like as if you're being observed but no one obviously gives a shit about you but if it just gives you this kind of weird relationship to how you yourself are at the time (laughs) and i feel like the whole film is a bit like that it's a bit kind of like this curiousness, but also a, a, like a personal surveillance i don't know it's a it's an odd one but
0: yeah, yeah i think uh, i think what was the i think there was a, there was a scene that they shot like a whole bunch of times like 90 times the one with mm-hmm. ian cummings that he's like the i think he's the the concierge uh, at a hotel yeah. or something yeah, like that yeah the
1: like scottish guy yeah alan, yeah, cummings, yeah. alan cummings alan cummings yeah. yeah yeah
0: and he acts like so weird in it i mean yeah. he's just it just feels like if you know they were trying their best and you know they were like putting their energy into it but there's yeah. some point that it becomes dehumanized yeah a,
1: yeah. it's you're right he has this kind of smirk and obviously yeah. like he is an actor I mean he's kind of well cast because he has this kind of like as a general from what I've seen him in this kind of like slightly kind of not clown like but kind of carnivaless kind of campy kind of like <laughs> yeah look at his eyes. but he has this kind of like smirk as if it's like all a joke it's,
0: it's flirty the too film.
1: yeah yeah Stephanie Flirty and he's like Ooh, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's true. Because like, obviously, Kubrick has the reputation of doing like eighty takes or whatever. And you're right. Yeah. Like after a certain point, it becomes not what it is. It becomes empty. Yeah. There's certain emptiness to it.
0: Yeah, it's like repeating a word too many times that yeah. it just kind of loses meaning. And yeah. they, I think he was trying to get at that just to change. Maybe he was getting going to that like blank canvas. Mm. But like transcend sort of like the natural instinct of an actor. Yeah. And trying to go for something that is not just not natural but it's unnatural.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It becomes like an empty sound. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wonder and apparently like so it has the record, eyes wide shot, of the longest shoot of all time. I think four hundred consecutive days. days. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Because obviously, you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of uh directors have extreme financial constraints and we'll have like one, two, three, maximum four takes. But that
0: that doesn't include editing or anything like that. It was like shooting for 100 days. Yeah,
1: just shooting, yeah, 400 days. And yeah, like a feature. And the funny thing is, it's a story that takes place over like technically, what, two days. Mm -hmm. But it is weird. There's this weird temporal shifting where it feels like the first... Half or three quarters of the film is one night, mm-hmm. and it just yeah, it feels kind of.
0: It feels a like temporal.
1: Yeah, it really does.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's not because I've seen some movies before. It was just like okay, this deals with twenty four hours, or mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 the amount of time that the movie runs for. So yeah. it's like two hours or whatever. But this doesn't. I don't know. It's just like it. You know, it jumps around a little bit, but it just feels like. Dispossessed of time completely. Yeah. And I think it's that, it, it might have to do something like that, that just like the performances feel devoid of something sort of human or natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's human, you know, but it like instinctual, I guess. I think that he was just like hammering things down so many times that, you know, it just ended up feeling you know, like an offshoot or something.
1: Yeah, it's maybe it's like the opposite of primal. You know, films tend to be like quite primal as a, like as an art form. Um, you know, and you have scores that like point your emotions to a certain thing. You have, you know, surround sound and bright colors and stuff. But yeah, this film's like the opposite of primal almost. It's like so mm-hmm. heady. Um, it's I clinical gonna say, too. An, sorry.
0: It's super, it just feels very clinical to me. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, and it's know, interesting,
1: he's a doctor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah well, but the lighting from the outside, for example, like through the windows, it's mm. just like, it doesn't look natural at all. It doesn't, yeah. Like, everything feels like a set, you know, but you can tell.
1: Yeah. Because it's not like he like Polanski or whatever who can't go to the States, you know? Uh, so yeah, he yeah. obviously, like, chose <laughs> to film in a set. The other character that I always was, like, weirded out by of it being, like, so oddly acted is you know when he goes to the um wealthy guy who's dying and his daughter like hits on him hits on Bill, and she's she's like, got a weird german accent or something
0: from the um from the costume shop
1: no it's before that like he the first client he goes to that night is this like, oh yeah at the end and then the woman is like it's just really weird and she like hits on him in a really weird yeah. you way know? um so should we talk about like the mysterious element of it oh well yeah there's a couple of things we can touch on like the kind of the mystery element to it this kind of um detective story element to it and the fantasy that results from that and then maybe you said that you had an idea to talk about how this relates to the epstein saga oh yeah do you want to touch on that i don't i actually haven't really followed the news recently so i have no idea what the epstein thing is really other than he's like a pedophile or something right yeah, yeah, he not, was.
0: Uh, he's been charged with like sex trafficking mm-hmm. um, of minors and everything. So mm-hmm. obviously, you know, all the Pizzagate people and everybody that's kind of like into this sort of like conspiracy theory things like are really, you know, they got their ears up. But <laughs> it's just, it's just like there was. I don't know. To me, like some of that just like rings true. Obviously, Pizzagate is like this sort of like uh, neurotic thing that it's like. Of course, it's true that mm-hmm. <laughs> some of these people are, like, involved in sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Pizzagate is, like, completely the wrong way to go about it. But, um, yeah, Nicole Kidman gave an interview for Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. And she was asked about, you know, like, her, her working relationship with Kubrick. And that Kubrick, he she opened up a little bit about, you know, what Kubrick would tell her during the shoot of uh, Eyes Wide Shut. And that she said that he told her that the world is basically run by pedophiles. And that, um, yeah, that he had sort of like dedicated his life to studying secret societies and how they function and how you get into them and whatever. So he had like tons of like just like research into that. And that he also said something like that basically it was a society of people that were bonded together by the secret. So you're bound to the other by the delicate nature of like pedophilia so you know like you even if you wanted to get out of that and just like become straight and like not do that stuff anymore it's like it was a lifetime bond you just Mm -hmm. had to do it so like I don't know that it was like sort of like a trust thing between them It's just like we know the deepest secret of each other and that's sort of like what made the society but yeah yeah Uh, because of the whole Epstein thing a lot of that I think maybe that's why she talked about it and it's like people are interested in that I guess.
1: I know that's the thing, I, I really don't know that much about pizza gate. other than like is it related to some like lizard thing, lizard people thing, I don't know, like well, yeah, obviously it's for conspiracy, some people, conspiracy theories are like, there's always like an element of, well conspiracy theories. conspiracy theories obviously emerge as like a papering over of some gap in understanding. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, they often stem from something real, you know, that just get taken over in this kind of, but um, obviously there's this whole thing of, I mean, I'm like a very skeptical person, so, um, but it is interesting talking about pedophilia, that pedophilia is like the last great taboo, you know, of.
0: Yeah, for somebody that is so powerful, that's the ultimate sort of like prohibition. You know, it's like, you know, you can you can break the law, you can do whatever you want, but children are sort of like out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense that it would become sort of like the object of desire for a rich person that is just like the ultimate uh, injunction that you can't cross over. And so that becomes like the thing that you actually want.
1: But was was he like um, Epstein, like an actual pedophile or was it just like nymph like young 14 year olds? Do you know what I mean? There's like the Lolita type versus an actual like child, child, child. Wait, <laughs> what right. do you mean? What are, <laughs> you know, what, what? So, <laughs> I don't know, this is gonna sound really <laughs> wrong, maybe, because obviously uh-huh. pedoph- pedophilia is like children, and there's a there's a thing of like um, potentially a kind of. I don't know. It still obviously counts as pedophilia under the law, but you know, like a young girl, like a like a pupa- like a fourteen year old or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> like a, which that's know, like, like uh, is- you know,
0: yeah, yeah. Isn't that like uh, I think in some states like. I think in Alabama, it's like mm. legal to marry somebody that is like thirteen or fourteen, as mm-hmm. long as they yeah. have like their parents' consent. I might be wrong mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. but it's pretty young. It's like, it's well below like age eight, eighteen.
1: I know it's funny because um, in the states, there's quite in general quite late ages of consent, and that's something that like I I think Europeans find quite weird because, you know, sixteen obviously in the or fifteen in a lot of European countries, and fourteen for certain other things like alcohol and stuff. Is allowed to. So, I yeah. know so it's like you know, like a woman. Yeah. What makes a, what what? Where does the line between pedophilia and like an actual kind of woman? Legal I mean, anyway? yeah. I don't I know. That's I'll... just a little pointless tangent.
0: Yeah, I mean, my I mean, I don't know about you, but like my grandma got married when she was like fourteen. Yeah. And then actually, like my mother-in-law got married when she was like sixteen or something. Yeah. So I think it was yeah. like pretty, pretty, pretty common. Young.
1: Yeah, but I think it's interesting that um in in. Contemporary kind of ideological frameworks. Yeah, p- pedophilia is like the the. Obviously, post sixty eight. It's like still the last taboo. I'm sure there are other taboos, but like, if you're mm. a furry or whatever, <laughs> that's like acceptable. <laughs> that's. Mm. Do you see the cats trailer? That's all I could think about. Is like having oh, a PLJ. <laughs> <laughs>
0: With uh, what's that guy that Comes out Ja Rule or uh. uh Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo.
1: Derulo yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: Jason Derulo and uh, who yeah. else was on it? Like uh, Idris Taylor Alba,
1: Swift, T- Taylor Swift, Rebel Wilson, Judy Dench, and like Judy coat. Dench. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, I don't know. There were some people wearing fur coats and some people not. Like some people naked and some <laughs> people wearing fur coats. Anyway, it's cats. Like musicals, I think are just odd. I just like, they're one of those things that you either like or you don't like. And if you don't like them, it's like, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) It's funny that you watch it and, like, what you come out with is, like, where's the consistency of nudity? Like, 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 why uh, is there clothing? It's
1: true, though, because they have, like, I'm sure lots of people have paid. Do you know, actually, it really restores my faith in humanity when you see, like, funny comment sections. Because, like, the comment section of the cats video on YouTube, people are, like, fucking hilarious. I suppose they put, like, (laughs) the best ones are at the top, the ones that have been like the most. But, yeah, no, like, they have, like, cat boobs yeah so it is distracting and also the other thing I found really disconcerting to talk about disconcerting things in films maybe Stanley Kubrick being disconcerting is where their faces are in relation to their head Mm -hmm. and like where the fur ends and then it goes into like a face
0: yeah it's weird it just doesn't work oh yeah it's weird I was kind of I remember like somebody asked James Cameron Mm -hmm in 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 an interview just, well the somebody in the audience was like why do the avatars have the navi or what are they called navi or something why do they have uh genitals like why do they have breasts and stuff and and he was like well because it's a movie for humans
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, well, this like, is I okay know. this is the thing because like film is obviously a specific medium and like musical theater is another medium and obviously prancing around in leotards is less naturalistic, you know, like theatre is, theatre is a different style of acting, it's a different style of acting altogether in musical theatre, you know, there's a different type of projection. In, in cinema you act small because everything's picked up by the microphone like, in the camera. And so it's like, you know, transferring that, like people prancing around in leotards, which is like mm. obviously an artifice into like yeah. film, which is like, and it, not only just like film, but like mainstream studio film. Which mm-hmm. is like real, you know. You're trapped in this like it's like a it's a real thing. Yeah. It's. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Did you watch uh, Les Misérables?
0: Anne Hathaway or something? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no I know. I know. That's that.
1: the same thing. I mean, like
0: musicals. I just like. They're I just not yeah, for I don't get. I mean, I, don't know.
1: I love films that like use music diegetically. Yeah. In a natural way, like a star is born, but like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's part it, of the story. It's, it's part like of the they story. Break yeah. Into song exactly it's like so I mean like I understand but it seems like some people I remember when uh Les Mis came out I even used that like abbreviation (laughs) because that's what the people are into it use um I was a teacher Uh in a boarding school and like I took a freaking trip of like 14 year old boys to see it because my colleague wanted to see it so I went with her and took all these boys and like it was embarrassing because they were so badly behaved in the cinema because it was so boring. And they're like 14 yep. year old boys. Why the fuck would they want to watch Leaves <laughs> up And it was like, I hate musicals anyway. And then the next day, and obviously like the school that I was teaching had a certain reputation and like the people in the local town, if you behaved badly, would like, use it as an excuse to hate you even more. <laughs> so you had to be like, mm-hmm. everybody be quiet, please. And then the next day I was at, back at the school and um, talking to some person who worked in like the head office about how shit the film was. And it turns Mm -hmm. out, like, he's, like, him and his wife, their, like, real passion was Les Mis, and they'd seen it, like, thousands of times in the West End. And he was, like, the most manly man. Weird. (laughs) Anyway, that's a little He was,
0: was. like, secretly fabulous or something. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: No, but I was going to ask you about this whole, like, uh, elite thing. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you make of it in the sense of what does it mean, this sort of, like intuition that people have of of elite people being pedophiles, do you think that it's sort of, you know, a fetish of them, of just, like, making them sort of, like, the absolute other that is, in, like, impenetrable and, mm-hmm. you know, they can do whatever they want and they're, they're like, limitless in their power? Or mm-hmm. actually is it the ultimate sort of uh, expression of how even if you are part of a secret society, even if you are rich, even if you like control the world or whatever, uh, there's a sort of impotence that leads you to something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's sort of like, there's a fracture in their power or whatever.
1: Yeah, do you know, I think it's probably like somewhere, there's some elements of both. I do think there's an element of um, believing that the rich and powerful have uh, enough power to be able to get away with it. It's like the true fantasy that there's an other uh an uncastrated other out there having all the fun and you know doing things in a way that other people wouldn't get away with and also, there's a sort of comfort in the belief that there's a system or even a meta system behind the system that has everything controlled Mm -hmm. and that for instance there are people who are able to get away with crimes because they have meta control of the system i think it's more traumatic for people to understand that there's nothing there because obviously that's what you need the big other and um But isn't
0: it it ironic that this is like, oh, my God, they're so powerful. But at the same time, you know, they can't even get it up unless it's with with a kid. No, I
1: think I think the flip side of it also is there's like um, a scapegoat of wealthy people, because obviously, you know, you look at something like the French Revolution. Oh, my God. Actually, there's a tangent I want to go back to on the French Revolution. But um, at a time when the (laughs) French royal family were like super, well, powerful at a point, you know, almost you get your power becomes it gets so high that it's at a limit that it breaks and you know you have a revolution or whatever but the the um the a lot of the satire at the time was to do with sex lives you know it's almost like the more elite someone is the more you kind of send them up as being like primal and powerless that so there's this stuff about um how marie antoinette was like really perverse and did all these weird sex acts and they called her L'Autrichienne, which means like the austrian but it's like a play on words like bitch and okay. Austrian, and Austrian like you can yeah. have a play of words in French but yeah so mm. it's like often yeah people I think potentially like to fantasize about the primal yeah so you say there's There's a kind of like a what they like an earthy reality to these people that they're nothing really. And then on the other side, that there's some like great meta thing happening where there's the excessive enjoyment,
0: like excessive jouissance of them. Like they Mm -hmm. get to experience everything and like they have Mm -hmm. ultimate pleasure or whatever. Yeah. But I think this is like ultimately crippled by I mean, if it's true, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like it really seems more of just like a crippling sort of desire to Mm -hmm. like to be involved with kids or whatever. (laughs) Well, obviously, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's paradoxical. It's just kind of contradictory.
1: Because yeah. this is obviously a, the thing about the Michael Jackson thing um, as well the king of pop with the. And you have people, some people who are um, absolutely will defend Michael Jackson to whatever point and be like, there's no evidence. It's all anecdotal. And then on the other side, there's like a, you know, a world that's been described where he yeah. was able to with his immense power but it, you know it is just interesting that the the paedophilia is something that's kind of an emergent through the crap of our contemporary ideology it's like it's yeah. like the it's the scapegoated i mean obviously i'm not defending paedophilia but you know it's just interesting yeah. that it's something that is of concern yeah and of interest like it almost exaggerated interest in our under our ideological kind of umbrella
0: at the moment yeah i think she talks about smoking in that way as well right mm-hmm. it's just like you know the the hysteria around like trying to sabotage like the you know the rights of people mm-hmm. to be in a building and being able to smoke mm-hmm. it's just like completely ostracized and it's like it says something about society when mm-hmm. there's like an extreme amount of attention going to a specific sort of thing like that you know what I was yeah. thinking about the other day it's like if there's a, if there's an elite person or just a person in general that likes children, they can't act on it, right? So they accumulate all this sort of like libido or just like this sex- this energy that they can't really like. You know, it's it. I guess it's difficult to fulfill that relationship or mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that sort of like sexual. You know, you can't really dump your energy. You know, like everybody else. So you accumulate it and then you just like. You take advantage of capital because you have all this excess energy. <laughs>
1: That's an interesting <laughs> theory, actually. <Yeah. laughs> until
0: hilarious. until you can do it, you know, you can you, yeah. you find the secret society or whatever. where. Oh, know, you're yeah, so you have like yeah.
1: the ultimate um, objet putty. I, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say about the, the, the smoking thing. It's interesting because like to me, smoking is pure, visible death drive. It's like an enjoyment of death drive. And there's no util, apart from looking cool or sexy or something. There's no mm-hmm. like utilitarian value to it. So we obviously have loads of things that involve death drive, but might be seen under capital as like useful, like study drugs or yeah, I know something that makes you have a really good time or yeah, I know it's and it's, it's interesting. But also, there's the, I mean, there is the thing of smoking that it's an encroachment on other people. But I don't know, lots of other things are encroachments on other people, but.
0: But yeah i always yeah. thought that was hilarious because some people say like oh my god secondhand smoking is worse than firsthand smoking it's just like well actually secondhand smoking is included in first-hand smoking so mm-hmm. i don't that's know that's true that just you get both, never yeah. made sense to me yeah
1: no i have said. say i mean i don't know where it's over oh, we in vegas recently and it like stank because you're allowed to smoke in vegas but um that's obviously conditioning oh yeah, inside, yeah. um But just to to wind it back to kind of the elite in this fantasy of the um, uncastrated other. Mm -hmm. So you've obviously done a lot more research into like Kubrick himself than me. Like I didn't realize that he actually was like into kind of this conspiratorial conspiracy theory kind of idea of like the world being run by pedophiles.
0: I mean, I don't think he was like a crackpot about it. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't I don't think he had like fucking like maps with like Mm -hmm. strings and, and pinpoints and photos of people. But yeah. It seems like he was he was just interested, in you know whether it had sort of like an edge of pedophilia on them or not, mm-hmm. like just about sort of like unpenetrable, impenetrable uh, societies of people that you know are in power.
1: Mm-hmm. No, but I, I mean, I, as I say, I'm like a very cynical person, and from my brief like insight into the workings of government, from my brief experience uh, as an intern um, mm-hmm. <laughs> at an embassy, it was like. 24 hours firefighting fuck-ups like it was like farcical you know there's there's yeah. no great power there's no oh, great oh absolutely yeah. and as as there is an element in, in Eyes Won't Shut where you know, especially the, the the kind of closing scenes where you have the death of the prostitute and uh Nick Nightingale getting beaten up but him being fine in Seattle. Obviously, there's a lack of resolution at the end, so it kind of relie- it leaves you with this still, like, a little investment in, like, what this mystery is. But it's almost like there's nothing there. It was just some people having sex, and that's it. And then, you know. So yeah, he's no, followed and threatened, and, uh, but there's nothing there, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I love that because I don't doubt at all. I mean, I'm, I think I'm kind of skeptic too, but I don't doubt at all that there are actually, like, secret societies like that. Mm -hmm. But really, what doesn't escape me is just, like, even if they are there, it's just full of, like, fucking just pathetic people, you know, that just, just like, you know, they they have to wear these vests and, like, have all these Mm -hmm. rituals to their sexual Mm -hmm. practice or whatever. It's just, like, they Mm -hmm. can't just, like, meet somebody, like, a normal fucking person on Tinder or whatever Mm -hmm. and then just, like, get laid. No, they have to, like, they have to exalt it and they need all of that just to... Just to yeah, have, like to the end. So you
1: because yeah. obviously, uh, when a person, this is what I've also experienced in my brief experience of people who are live in a kind of rarefied world of either lots of money or fame or whatever. That there's an element, and I think it was actually very visible in the five foot two documentary, Lady Gaga's documentary. I found that it. Was very, <laughs>
0: You're obsessed so, with Lady Gaga. Am I? oh yeah I no, fucking i'm just stars. It. but
1: it's like i'd never really liked her music and then i watched five, five foot two and i was like oh i love this woman but um it was like really sad you know she her mm-hmm. staff of a thousand or whatever left her personal masseuse the only person who could touch her left her mansion in malibu at 6 p.m and she's just there alone i think there's a profound mm-hmm. loneliness and like yeah obviously um oh yeah there's an element of Standoffishness amongst people of a certain group because one might assume that one wants something from them, which one yeah. obviously d- does. <laughs> but you know, so there's, a, there's like a an impenetrability and a, a loneliness, a sadness. I don't know, and a difficulty in forming relationships with people.
0: Yeah, I yeah. get the feeling. I get the feeling that Kubrick was a very, could be a very cynical person, mm-hmm. or just like a cynical director.
1: It's funny because he's either like this is okay to be to categorize because obviously these films have like a a very obsessive
0: Mm tone to
1: them you know the 90 takes and whatever but there's obviously like there's also kind of a psychotic element or perverse yeah yeah or perverse or hysteric (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I just thought
0: perverse <laughs> because it's like testing yeah. the limits of what feels natural and then just testing mm. the limits of the actors as well and just mm-hmm. like testing their patience and yeah. like when I, I I saw some interviews of like of Tom Cruise where he was talking about like oh my god Stanley Kubrick was so patient and so compassionate and I'm mm-hmm. just like well was he being compassionate and patient with you or are you being patient with him you know after the 90th take or whatever
1: because it was interesting like i thought the casting choice was really interesting especially at the time because at the time um kidman and Cruz were like the it couple of yeah. the kind of I, this probably sounds a bit reductive and mean and i don't really mean it in the sense i just didn't have a thesaurus but like the dumb dumb fame couple sure know? yeah yeah The like britney and justin or the I don't know what it would be now. I'm like too old for Bob Carter, <laughs> but like the like, uh-huh. um, I don't know who. Uh,
0: the, what, like Ryan Reynolds and uh, Blake Lively.
1: Or like even more, even more like mainstream. Like I don't know. Like oh, like Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas.
0: Yeah, Joe Jonas, yeah. or what was that like? uh, Emily Blunt and uh, Michael Blay.
1: Yeah. So basically. It's just an interesting choice in casting. And obviously it's like, are they in on the deeper elements of the story and the themes and stuff? Or are they like, being used. So, you know, they're not like falsely naive, but they're actually naive to what's going on. I don't know.
0: I think so. I think so. And I heard, I mean, I, you know, these are all like hearsay or whatever, just rumors. But people were saying that like, you know, Kubrick would pit them against each other. So that there was tension on set and so that it would come out in the in the shot or whatever. And even I was listening to some interviews and and Nicole Kidman was saying that because they were husband and wife Mm -hmm. in some scenes, like before they would start, like right before Mm -hmm. they would start, like that Tom Cruise would whisper something that would trigger her Mm -hmm. in her Mm -hmm. ear or whatever before Mm -hmm. starting the shoot. And that would like become part of the, you know, of the mood and take. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if they do it to each other, I don't doubt that maybe Stanley Kubrick was also just sort of like pushing yeah. them to their emotional extremes.
1: It is interesting. I find it fascinating. I hear all this stuff about these like great directors who do have all these like techniques. I don't know. Yeah. It always seems like complicated.
0: But <laughs> didn't didn't he sort of like like almost made Shelley Duvall go nuts with like, in The Shining?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, like Jack Nicholson.
0: No, no. Stanley Kubrick. Like I've seen some footage of, of like you know behind the scenes where mm-hmm. Kubrick is just like destroying. Uh, uh, what's her name? Shelley Shelley Duvall
1: Oh, sorry. I don't. I don't actually know what the actress's
0: name is. No. Yeah, I think it's. She, yeah. I think it's Shelley Duvall But uh, yeah. she, she just like screaming at her and just like telling her it's like you're just wasting everybody's time. And it, like, and she said after the the shoot that she was like, I'll never work with him again. It was just like horrible. Wow. And I mean,
1: it's obviously because I got to show you that. Yeah, I no, I time. I don't doubt it because you you know we're talking about things that uh, uh, under certain circumstances, ideological circumstances, some things are acceptable and some things aren't. Like obviously, there's like been a great transformation in film sets and power mm-hmm. differentials and. Bloody, bloody, blah, and obviously the media. Or, sort of, or of, like, sort of like in a,
0: in an erasure of sets, really. <laughs> Did you see the yeah. new? Uh, John, uh, yeah. No, no, uh, Lion King. There's no sets, right? There's just.
1: Oh, gosh, I know that's another. That's a, another extremely odd. This live action. Just don't understand. Anyway, but yeah, there's lots to say about that whole yeah. Lion King thing. But um, yeah, see, so talking about like, the uh, Cruise Kidman thing. And I just find this kind of dynamic of being this, like she's obviously the housewife, he's got the respectable job, you know, the like doctor. Mm-hmm. And then how her fantasy comes into play. And so this kind of like the repression of the middle classes and the upper middle classes, kind of bourgeois, kind of puritanical. Um, actually, that is something I want to talk about later, puritanical on a different tangent. I'll put it okay. on, I'll have my finger in my ear so I can remember that I have something to say. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, the kind of the the bourgeois Mm repression. And then her, uh, obviously they get high and she she confesses that she fantasized about sleeping with this naval officer.
0: Yeah. And that that she would leave, that she knew that she would leave her kids Mm -hmm. and him and it didn't Mm -hmm. even matter to her, right?
1: Yeah. So how does that whole, uh, how do you think the whole fantasy world relates to this kind of 2.2 the irony is it's funny because it's like the 2.2 children family setup but they're obviously living in a very nice part of new york etc etc but like they are kind of like the aspirational bourgeois couple professional mm-hmm. couple
0: Uh i don't know i just thought it was interesting that i think you know you know this whole Lacan thing of just like man's desire is the is the other's desire. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that sort of like, you know, her telling her that dream, telling him that dream, it was just like it opened up this void that is mm-hmm. meant to be covered up. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe, you know, that's why they had to smoke pot in order to do it because mm-hmm. otherwise you know, they lose some of the, the filters that maybe, the, you know, you have there in place, you know, commonly. But When he when she opens up about it and she says, like, you know, I had this I had this this fantasy, she didn't even do it. But it just like the fact that she inhabited that that dream so clearly and that it even had like its own agency in the sense that she could know that she was willing to leave her life behind completely Mm -hmm. just to be with that man. Like it, it becomes whole as a story. Even yeah. if she experienced it as, like, not complete or, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, it's just a dream. For him, it is. Yeah. So, it's, it's, you know, the other comes out of that unscathed or it's just, like, it's absolute, you know. Yeah. So, that triggers sort of, like, a night of adventure for him where he just goes off and does whatever whatever he wants. You know, he doesn't, I don't remember him just, like, doing anything, like, like, cheating on her or whatever. But mm-hmm. at the end, there's a closure that I think is interesting. is just like, you know, like, oh, we have to do something immediately. Because he comes back, confesses to her everything that, that mm-hmm. he did that night. And then she's crying. She's kind of devastated. But she's like, you know, we have to do something immediately. And he's like, what's mm-hmm. that? And he's like, fuck. And that's like the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's weird because... When Lacan says, like, there's no sexual relationship, that might sound negative, but it's actually like a very positive thing. <laughs> it's
1: mm-hmm. just
0: like when you have sex with somebody, there is no sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And what's the alternative to that? It's not that there is a sexual relationship, but it's this like horrible void. Yeah, so, no, exactly.
1: Yeah. So
0: when you put that sort of like negative mm-hmm. relationship in place, and I think that's what happens at the end. And it's like, yeah. and it's not like they start kissing each other and then they have sex. Yeah. No, like it's, it's, it's sort of, like, expressed in its most, like, vulgar, sort of, like, mm-hmm. uh, like hard way. And it's just, like, fuck. And, you know, that's, that's how the film ends. So it's, like, the returning of the fantasy. Because I think yeah. what had happened is, like, the fantasy became subjectivized. Yeah. And that was fucking horrific for him. And, you know, yeah. he had to go and, like, f- try to get revenge or whatever. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's
1: interesting because, like, that, you touched on so many things there because, obviously, there's, there's no sexual relationship or whatever. And... How, obviously, one doesn't have direct sexual relation, sexual intercourse with another person. One has it in relation to one's fantasy. And to admit the fantasy is, like, the most horrific, embarrassing yeah. thing. And also mm-hmm. to experience someone else's fantasy is also horrendous and kind of, like, disconcerting. And, I, you know, there's an element, I think we talked about it in Jameson's episode, and she talked about... Uh, you know, a fantasy that had been admitted for this Vice article, and it's, like, horrendous and, like, <laughs> yeah. embarrassing or whatever. But, yeah, and you're right, like, then you... If you have a direct sexual relationship or you encounter sex without fantasy...
0: Yeah.
1: It's just, like, a void. And almost, you know, the whole experience of Bill going... You know, so he obviously goes to this orgy, mm-hmm. which seeing other people have sex is like sex without fantasy and it's horrifying yeah. and it's obviously like a horror element to that whole thing with the masks and the you know the capes and this like crazy music that you know music is yes, very horrific <laughs> oh the piano thing yeah 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 yeah. so um yes yeah, so it's like pure void and almost perhaps you know what we're talking about the technique and the whole tone of the film This this emptiness to it that's kind mm-hmm. of horrific
0: it feels like Definitely everything feels like a set Yeah, because when you I think when when you aspire for sexual harmony Mm. or yeah, like sexual harmony with the other's desire or the other sort of like fantasy um, that opens up, you know, a a void that is that is artificial, first of all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And but at the same time, it's paradoxical because. What happens at the end is that, like they they reestablish sort of the, uh, the artificial fantasy of just being mm-hmm. with each other through just yeah. like having sex and whatever. So, yeah, it's
1: interesting that he like lays them, the mask is like laid down on the bed because she finds it and she puts it there. And it's like yeah. the mask has that to was return so, to was the bedroom.
0: Like, oh my god, that's like so incredible. I'm not even sure what that means, but it's just like I think Zizek was saying something about how that's just like, uh, the sexual femininity is like completely impenetrable to men, and how it's just mm-hmm. like, to men, it's like women or a whole. I think Todd. Oh, I'm moving around a little bit, but Todd was talking about how there was a woman that was like criticizing Freud because it's just like, you know, he 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 thinks that he understands feminine sexuality mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, you know, it's all about the phallus or whatever, and that he was like, no, actually, I think Freud's whole think stance was that like male sexuality is a testament to how female sexuality is an enigma Mm -hmm. and i think it's very weird in the film how she can sleep with the with the symbol of his escapade or Mm -hmm. like the mask like just next to her and she's like Mm -hmm. sleeping peacefully
1: yeah yeah well they yeah, I guess she doesn't she doesn't know what it represents necessarily well, I guess she can have an assumption. No, I but, yeah, I, I'm yeah. I'm not
0: sure that that sort of peacefulness is from her perspective. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, just more yeah. symbolic, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're right, yeah, the the female enigma and then almost like her recounting in such detail, and obviously like the, the film uses flashback and so that obviously kind of like revivifies the fantasy. Mm -hmm. yeah it's just horrendous oh this is you know this you're talking about kind of female sexuality and the contemporary condition and also a quote-unquote feminist critique of psychoanalysis like you know sexual relationships as they are painted under ideology today just like so simplistic and like biological and like not taking into account that there could be anything other at play like i think something like free the nipple is an interesting one that there's Mm -hmm. obviously a difference between a female nipple and a male nipple (laughs) do you know what i mean and like nakedness it's not like you know the kind of i'm gonna just say reductively 68 ish but that kind of oh beyond sexual oppression lies utopia it's like no Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the opposite because there lies trauma and so you know, and I think we've touched on this before. This kind of like is Me Too a response to the sexualization of the public sphere, and people are feeling traumatized because of that, because it's sex without fantasy, or is mm-hmm. it? Oh, we're so uh, we're so enlightened now as to understand that we can talk about sex and what we used to do was so bad, you know. So, but yeah. it, it's just interesting how I think this film really captures the void. Or the, 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 trauma, the like, yeah. supplementality that, is, that revolves around sex. And, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that, like, a lot of critics didn't like the movie. I think it's Kubrick's greatest movie, greatest achievement. Absolutely. Yeah. But a lot of people, and it's interesting, critics who tend to be more, like, let's say, right for mainstream publications. And By the way, I was going like, yeah
0: Just a quick aside, what do you think oh. is his second best
1: uh barry Lyndon, personally but yes yeah. yes i yeah. completely agree i do yeah, yeah it's yeah. funny like but Bar- yeah yeah i would say i would shot them barry linden
0: barry linden and then i think i would barry. say the shining after that yeah
1: yeah
0: The Shining. Yeah. i mean 2001 is incredible but it's just like it doesn't seem like a film to me i mean of course it's a film mm, yeah, but yeah, yeah. i don't yeah, see it do. like whenever i'm going to watch it i'm just like i don't prepare in the same way that I'm going to watch like a Bergman film mm. or uh, whatever, Spielberg or anything yeah. like yeah. it just feels different it just, it feels more audiovisual yeah I know it seems like
1: experiential than, yeah then, yeah. yeah absolutely I mean there's so many really really good ones, but those, they're, they're my two favourite but um, yeah no it's just, it's just interesting that I think it really touched on something and often films that touch on something real rather than cover over something Um, can be disconcerting to people and divisive and especially I think we talked about we were just talking before we we recorded about a certain very prestigious film festival that I think some people have noticed is becoming Mm -hmm. so imbued with ideology that you know that every film that's going to come out of it is going to be basically almost propagandistic of
0: it's a it's a like a like a woke manifesto Yeah.
1: yeah absolutely so um I think that's why it was almost so divisive because it's so correct. <laughs> you know. Mm. <laughs> I
0: don't uh, fucking get the incentive of just sanitizing culture from sexuality or even transgression. Like, that's what I think that being an artist mm-hmm. basically means that you need to explore those things because they're... I don't know, they're at the edges of what it means to be human or Mm -hmm. not even at the edges, at the center of what it means Mm -hmm. to be human. It's just like to experience transgression and like our relationship to the law Mm -hmm. is extremely constitutive of our experience. Mm -hmm. So art is definitely supposed to go into these sort of like registers of transgression and sexuality and violence and all Mm -hmm. of this. And it's just, you know, I really i am starting to become extremely suspicious of this whole like uh, like Disney sort of like mm-hmm. uh, temperament mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. culture is like taking on right now mm-hmm. because I think that basically what, what's happening is that Disney is trying to manufacture uh, adults that are perpetually like in their childlike sort mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. uh, purity yeah. where it's just yeah. like they, they, they cringe at sexuality, they cringe at violence and all mm-hmm. this is like you know those things shouldn't even be explored like it, they become taboo mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you, what do you think about certain, like, shock artists or shock value artists? Like, you know, Lady Gaga did a little bit of that mm-hmm. at the beginning, even mm-hmm. though she's, like, she's been more mellow now. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I don't know, like, I'm thinking of, like, Marilyn Manson or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you think that these are just repetitions of the 70s? Like, do you think that the 90s and early 1000s, like, that... It was still mm. a possibility to transgress or transgress artistically, or is it just like it became a trend yeah. that became fashionable and it was just a repetition?
1: So I almost want to make notes because it's like I think there's three things that you said that I wanted to touch on. So I think like obviously I think it's, it's really reductive to like we're talking about generations, but obviously there's an element of like just yeah, yeah. saying certain people who are young at a time of a certain culture. So i do think like the gen x and i would say marilyn manson is like a gen x kind of thing you know that there's there was like um a a more kind of like reactive potentially like rebellion um and there was also a possibility for rebellion so Mm -hmm. like contained within the contemporary condition there was like a release valve to do like heavy metal or like punk or like Marilyn Manson like Eminem or whatever but I think the transformation of Eminem from like 20 years ago to now is like indicative of our culture (laughs) in that like capitalism has expanded its tentacles to such an extent at a time when and I think we're talking about with Todd about this at at Belfast that like almost capitalism is at its like greatest power when it's almost failed as in there's so Mm -hmm. much Inequality,
0: When it's close and, to repetition. Yeah.
1: yeah, and so it has to, like, cover over the inequality mm-hmm. in other ways. And so, you know, you're talking about transgression in the Disney, whatever, but there's also an element of transgression that's so pervasive, but it's not transgression anymore because it's part of ideology. So you have, mm-hmm. like, okay, festival-winning short films about a young girl of some background who terrorizes her white jock boyfriend with a black dildo mm-hmm. <laughs> for instance like just a, you know, this is real? like yeah yeah so okay. that's transgressive but it's not it's totally with an ideology mm-hmm. so still,
0: yeah yeah it's still yeah it, so, it aligns itself to like I don't know like woke sensibilities or whatever yeah. And even, exactly you know I guess that would be like sort of like the, the grotesque side of you know like li- like a liberal sort of stance Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. you have someone like um yeah, Lady Gaga is like a complicated example, but yeah, someone like Eminem who has become <laughs> you know, like a a, a woke <laughs> rapper. Yeah. Um but you know, okay, but again there's nothing necessary, there's nothing wrong with we're not criticizing social justice, we're criticizing like the capitalization of mm-hmm. whatever movements. Yeah. Um the other thing that I was gonna say is um you know uh, and i'm I'm getting more and more concerned with it in the arts and how just one position oneself um
0: but i think yeah, yeah. I, I think what i was trying to say is that, like for example take stranger things mm-hmm. and we've talked about this before about the cancellation of the future so what happens at the end is that since we can't articulate any new forms of art or any new forms of genre mm-hmm. like we're repeating the past right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. take for example like 68 Oh, sorry. What I meant with uh, Stranger Things is that uh, it's Mm -hmm. not original in any way. In Mm -hmm. fact, it's almost like an exact replica of what happened Mm -hmm. artistically in film. It was through Spielberg or whatever in the 80s. Do you think that whatever happens now when it comes to sexuality and and sex culture and even maybe even gay culture, um, that it's a repetition rather than... Sort of something that arises out of necessity, like it oh, did so, in 68 so like or whatever. A
1: 68 repetition. Yeah, a it's 68 repetition, but that
0: it's not, it's like, it's, it's lacking a political edge, and it yeah. doesn't really have, like... Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this is the thing, I think people are kind of, um, aren't as stupid as we are led to believe, because people can tell when something is, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Like actually transgressive or not and I think you're right there's a there's like a branding of things being transgressive but people know that it isn't um mm-hmm. but you know I do put it down to um inequality of capital both cultural and financial and a papering over of that by you know so I for instance you know we talked about the Gillette I don't know if we've talked about the Gillette, but There's two,
0: right? Yeah,
1: so there's the one, well, there's the the 4 D chess version, the shaving one, and then they're like, yeah, but the the shaving one about toxic masculinity, there's obviously one could argue that a lot of these big corporations like SC Johnson and stuff have so much capital that they make more um, in speculation than they do on uh, selling this particular type of razor, so it is more beneficial to them to use the ad as a propagandistic tool Mm -hmm. of how great and virtuous they are than to um sell it to the customers because they're gonna make more money, you know. So they just ha- but obviously yeah. that doesn't really work because people aren't that stupid. But um you know, so that's a you know, a brave, you know, thing to do to yeah. to use an ad and that but it's not because yeah, it's totally ideological. Um yeah. but you know I think there's a it's a complicated thing because obviously you have from the right uh, a you know this i've heard that people say things like oh conservatism is the new punk or something because they see (laughs) things like Mm -hmm. sex quote unquote in the public realm and that you know but i think there's a misunderstanding there because it's not actually sex so what we have Mm -hmm. in kubrick's film is sex but what we have in the idea of the short film i just told you about or Women prancing around naked, look at my body. That's not sex. That's yeah, horror.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's horror, and it's also just. I, I mean, I just do feel like it's a repetition because mm-hmm. you know it's a repetition of Madonna, for example, when yeah, she you yeah. know like like a virgin or whatever. Mm. Sometimes when I see like this whole thing of like, you know, like I think Lady Gaga did a little bit of this. Rihanna definitely did mm. a lot of just like leather, like leather yeah, culture, yeah. just like yeah, like it's not. Na- it, and not not to say like you know that's like op- appropriation or whatever, mm-hmm. but like it already had its political moment through like yeah. the gay culture and like yeah. you know like movies like Serpico no not Serpico uh, what's this Al Pacino movie that he kind of goes out and 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 into like gay the gay scene mean? and I think it's called well whatever it's a Willem Friedkin movie from the seventies
1: mm-hmm.
0: and at that moment it it was like. I don't know, it meant something political. Mm-hmm. But now it's just like, I feel like it's part of this sort of like Mark Fisher thing of like the repetition mm-hmm. of things as a as a as an alternative to not being able to articulate uh, uh, a different type of art form.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And I think, you know, what you're, what you're saying is, if I understand it, is that repetition by definition has a vacuity to it. So it's symbolically similar, but significantly yeah. Not. Mm-hmm. No, and I think you're right. You know, there's, um, I, I actually, uh, after I left college for a while, I worked for a family, um, as a, like a tutor to the children. And it was a, at the time there was, um, a, the Rihanna song, SNM, and the kids were like singing along to it, like eight and <laughs> 11 or something. But it's like, yeah, there's a, there's a devoidness to it because if you actually mm-hmm. understand the reality of the lyrics and then actually understand how sex functions and, you know, sex without fantasy is rape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, quite weird. It's quite weird. So it's obviously by definition not sexual if you're not feeling, yeah, violated by it. But
0: Yeah. but would you say that maybe, like, the the true sort of uh, a, a, a exhibition of sexuality when it comes to, I don't know, like gay culture or mm. take, you know, even Eyes Watch as an example, and it, it, it wears its void on its sleeve so sort to of mm-hmm. speak mm-hmm. Um, like that that has sm- something more to say than you know pure sexuality just for the sake of like excitement mm-hmm. or whatever because mm-hmm. you know like you know there's there's nudity and all of that in Eyes Wide Shut but I don't necessarily think that it's like a very erotic movie no, in fact no. it's more you know it yeah. it says something deeper than that and yeah. you know it's, it's looking towards like the, the emptiness of just like fantasy and all that mm-hmm. so I just think that that has more to say than something that is, you know, like explicit or graphic yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's interesting, you know, that the orgy scene in Eyes Wide Shut is very long and has this kind of like volume to it as in the number of masked, wi- you know, these women with the perfect 90s <laughs> bodies, you know, mm-hmm. late 90s, early noughties, the like perfect everything, the perfect figures, boobs, and that and yeah. yeah there's like a, there's like a like a an excessiveness and you see the same thing happening all these like different sex acts all over it, you know, and it's like yeah it becomes very unpornographic you know it becomes very mm-hmm. uh it's like a, an art piece you know? yeah uh, yeah devoid definitely. of actual yeah
0: well, because I think it has it's its primary sort of point is is political it's not mm-hmm. You know, it is not. It's not pornographic. It's, mm-hmm. it's pointing towards something else, or it's like mm-hmm. a signifier. You know,
1: I always find it. Kate, okay, this is going to sound really odd, but something to think about. But obviously, like people's fantasies are so diverse and uh illogical and contingent that people just must get like turned on by. You know, there's always somebody in some situation who's going to be turned on by something.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just like. <laughs>
1: I just think about that. It's just odd. I know, just like, like human.
0: Just, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. It's like human sexuality yeah. as a whole is like polymorphously perverse. Yeah, like
1: some someone <laughs> would get turned on by being in cars,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: being. And this, this is the you know the interesting thing about like pansexual. It's just interesting because it's like I feel like it's a term that comes out of. Um, as in there's like a theoretical explanation it's like correct in some ways but like of course some people are turned on by a fucking table like you know it's just like yeah. it's a contingent thing
0: yeah <laughs> I do I, I do find that very interesting the whole like uh, J.G. Ballard crash thing of mm-hmm. just like the mixture of sexuality with like mm-hmm. mechanics and like just mm-hmm. like metals and uh, well you, you might know, like the um, um,
1: music video I just showed you of my friend <laughs> that's like oh, yeah, yeah. Footage from a factory it's like repetitious um, <laughs> yeah but it's talking about going back to the idea of um, the idea of the uncastrated other um, and the idea of yeah because obviously we were talking about um, the fight the discovering and really like embodiment and reality of the other's fantasy so like Nicole Kidman's fantasy in, in this it's like horrifying and then on a wider scale Bill's discovery of what's at the core of this fantasy it's like the same thing almost and it's like horrifying and then you just return to your normal life so yeah uh-huh. i just think it's like you have the microcosm of the like of the real hysteric kind of fantasy which in the marital scene and then you have this like wider thing you know, yeah the like elite whatever it's kind of like the same thing um but yeah, just, yeah to me yeah. it's
0: just like yeah the movie is just about uh the 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 desire of the Other, with capital O, mm-hmm. becomes subjectivized in, in the mm-hmm. movie. And that's why yeah, it has yeah, this sort yeah. of horror feel to it yeah. because it becomes this monster, sort of like... Yeah. It's the monster of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, at the end, it just puts gets put back into its genie bottle or into its, mm-hmm. like, Pandora's box and, like, everybody can just, like, move on. But mm-hmm. I think that it's very weird that the moment that... You know, like... W- a lot of, Lacan's thing is, like, there is no big other and all this. Mm-hmm. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's perfect with Eyes Wide Shut because mm-hmm. precisely when the desire of the other becomes subjectivized, the movie feels extremely artificial and yeah. fake because yeah. there is no big other. It's yeah. all just, like, the, I don't know. It's, 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 it's like Tom Cruise, just, like, what his idea of it is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, that's why it feels like a dream. Like, it cannot yeah. be real. Yeah. And it has to feel unnatural, and it has to feel absolutely. inhuman, and all of that. So
1: absolutely, and I do like the ambiguity of it at the end, where it's like it's both the real, kind of sex cult elite thing, and also a nothing, where it's, yeah. you know, it's almost like mm-hmm. staged, you know, ridiculous masks and capes and uh, silly frigging Fidelio password. What does
0: that mean, by the way? Is that like it means a like, it,
1: it means like um, well, like it's like faith faithfulness well like fidel okay. is like faithful but then also like, yeah there's like another word which comes to mind which is like um like like almost like a trustworthiness okay thing like yeah, a, yeah i think yeah i was obviously chosen for a reason but um yeah and they're like the fake well we don't know if he's nick's back in seattle he's obviously been beaten up and then mandy i think the name of the prostitute who dies mm-hmm. but then it's like oh but there's nothing actually really there because she just overdosed you know so oh yeah yeah it's it, i just like that kind of ambivalence mm-hmm. it's both real and not real you know it's like
0: yeah both, it's yeah. it's sort of a secret that fades away very quickly like yeah. it loses its value immediately yeah. after yeah. and there's yeah. no trace of it so mm-hmm. no, but I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I think it's it's, so I, it's definitely his best movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm surprised that we like we agree that that Barry Lyndon is like a second because no, I don't I think love Barry Lyndon. I don't think a lot of people really talk about Barry Lyndon that much.
1: No, I don't know why, um, but I just think it's it's interesting because um, it's obviously a film of an era, and it's obviously like almost like a, a British. It's like a take on it. It's like a, the genre might be some like Brit, like an empire film or something. There's yeah. like some kind of exploration of it in a particular time. It's interesting that um, I was I was actually writing a script that I've kind of abandoned but might go back to about a, like a campaign, a British campaign as part of like empirical expansion. But I kind of, when I was writing this was like in 2014, like I kind of realized the only way to tell it these days is like as horror because otherwise it's just unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and there's this film I don't know if you, you saw the terror right on the yeah, series yeah, yeah. the mc series like obviously that's that's a horror like, did I say terror I, I meant horror did I say horror about the one that I was writing like it has to be a horror because you just can't write it in any other ethically acceptable way but like I yeah. see Barry Lyndon as like part of that genre, not horror genre but that like empire genre um and it's just interesting it's like the I guess the genre the way the mechanism of telling the story is this like buildings romance um oh and yeah and it's, just, it's just interesting it's interesting yeah yeah yeah. Uh, that was just I, a waffly point with no point
0: to it sorry <laughs> <laughs> no no i liked it i, I think it's very yeah. good do you because you really like uh war movies did you like full yeah. metal jacket
1: yeah i did i think it's very good yeah, yeah. i do like it I, I like it a lot um yeah war movies are an interesting one and obviously more or less oh we watched actually um talking about films that are like acceptable in the contemporary scene so I feel like um, a a director I think is very good is Clint Eastwood and he's kind of like fallen out of ideological favour, you know, because it's almost like his, his potential directorial perspective. I watched The Mule and I really liked it, but I can see how his work is not necessarily, um, and I know some people, you know, who are more within Hollywood system than I am, and he's not liked in that system, even though he does make commercially successful movies, but, like, yeah, no, it's just interesting, like, what becomes under a contemporary condition, like, acceptable or not acceptable, you know, but,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, just, like, you know, okay, so, if... (laughs) I just think that if someone had the capacity to be woke at all Mm -hmm. times, like, Mm -hmm. through all generations, you know, it would be completely... You know, like, talking about, like, eyes wide shut, the feel of it's just, like, completely artificial. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Isn't really, like, the, the fetish object of wokeness? It's, like, it's the other. It can never be yourself. It's just, like, somebody else well. is suffering more than me. And, like, it's just, like, the residue of society or whatever that you need to be looking well, out for.
1: You know, it's interesting because we talk about the kind of, like, Peter had a very good point earlier today we are talking about Tazita's book Against which is about um, white evangelical culture and not to like racialize the whole thing but like we were saying that actually puritanical, the puritanical spirit is part of like protestantism and like almost those people who would have otherwise 60 years ago, 50 years ago been part of like, like white protestant church culture are the upper middle class (laughs) wokies yeah you know so there's like a kind of um a guilt like that you know so you have so basically the point being is like oh well there's this whole thing of like oh well white culture's losing its ground in the west or you know we have a more diverse culture but it's like no yeah this is this is like the atheist like an like a diver divorced from religion religion and I think yeah. it's, a, like, it's a modern offshoot of that culture.
0: You know why I think also that Freud is just so repressed right now when it comes to, like, mm. cultural relevance? Mm. And it's because I think it would change everything. I was like, you know, this this whole Blade Runner 2049 thing, it was like, mm. it would break the world. To realize that there is enjoyment and guilt.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's funny because, like, talking about the idea of, like, sin and stuff, like, in Catholic culture... As in, I'm not an expert, but I'm just reporting from a conversation I had with a theologian earlier today. (laughs) You know, there's this (laughs) idea of like um, confession. Mm -hmm. Um, But in like Protestant culture, it's like the sin is always there. You can't just confess it away, you know? And I think there's this original sin. And I do see woke culture as so, you know, this like diversity, it's like not really diversity, it's diversity as a puppet of the like, of the 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 cultural norm which is the same as it's ever been yeah i think but could be yeah wrong, probably wrong. No, that's yeah. just an idea yeah
0: yeah but i think that it there's this tendency and i think it's close to this whole like disney thing of just like mm-hmm. sanitizing culture mm-hmm. and i think there's a there's a big mistake in in a lot of people thinking that the person that is worried about the oppressed and that feels guilty about their past or whatever mm-hmm there is enjoyment in that as well and th- yeah. and it you know it, nobody gets a free pass out of that so yeah. i think to to elevate that interest mm-hmm. and to say that it's completely innocent and like mm-hmm. it speaks for everything and it's this mm-hmm. universal sort of position like
1: mm-hmm.
0: or universal particular i just don't think that it makes sense at all and i think the 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 sooner that we realize that enjoyment has a part in this whole sort of like woke thing i think that you know the the sooner that we can move to something that is actually universal and, and better it's I funny think, like yeah. the
1: um, yeah no absolutely like the universality is is that
0: mm-hmm.
1: is the function of enjoyment and like you know it's funny cuz like the the emblem of psychoanalysis is ironically like the the coca-cola slogan <laughs> enjoy and it's I like know. that was obviously a slogan that was like or like a an emblem. I don't know if I'm right, but like has a kind of fifties feel to it. So there's like a pre sixty eight. Let's get back to pre sixty eight. You know, Woo. Um, yeah. but obviously there are issues then. The other thing I was gonna say, you know, you're like mentioning um, uh like Disney movies, and it made me think think of like Joseph Joseph Campbell and like Jung, and
0: mm-hmm. like
1: how that. So obviously in psychoanalysis, like Jung was part of psychoanalysis for a while, and like Freud was really excited when he found his like um. Aryan descendant in Jung uh, yeah. that he felt that could like legitimize uh, psychoanalysis is like a you know something that was actually more than Jewish. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is, it's like mm-hmm. like so psychoanalysis provides a cure, but like literally Jung is ideology It's yeah. like Western ideology, and like you <laughs> obviously yeah, anyway.
0: <laughs> you're it's just, you're, you're, you're a perpetual are perpetual boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like, yeah.
1: as I say, I, I quite like early young and stuff, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just funny, because it's like...
0: But yeah. it's not psychoanalysis at the it's end. Not, it's just, it's you know, it has, it has more in common with like, I don't know, just like uh, Meister Eckhart, or just like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, mystics in general. Yeah, yeah it's
1: just a mystical thing, um, which by death... Well, no, I won't get into that. The other thing I was going to say is, um, I actually had this, like, realization about the unconscious rather mm-hmm. than subconscious, because obviously subconscious is to do with, like, depth psychology. And we were talking, um, I'm writing this script with a friend at the moment, a comedian, and it's yeah. um, it's called The Genie of Unconscious Wishes, so it's like a take on the standard, like, genie film with three wishes, but the genie grants your unconscious wishes. And obviously, like, um, we're, you know, working on it, they're not, obviously when you're writing a summary, you can say oh, it grants your, like, deepest desires, but it's nothing to do with it being deep. It's to do with, like, what you literally say. Mm-hmm. So surface I the think, unconscious yeah. is like just what is there on the surface, but isn't just isn't born in the conscious mind. Apologies. We just had a, a couple of technical difficulties there, but just to wrap up the episode, uh, We were talking about the unconscious. We were talking about uh, fantasy. We were talking about um, uh, the uncastrated other. We were talking about all of that in relation to Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hate saying see you next time because that's just (laughs) incorrect. But actually, I have a a blind relative who always says nice to see you, which I think is kind of fun. (laughs) Lol. (laughs) Anyway, so... (laughs) uh speak to you next time
0: yeah that sounds good i like that (laughs) all right Bye. bye
1: bye